to another brand new episode of James Baldwin's America. I am your host, Jesse James. We are rapidly approaching the deadline for Election Day here in America. And as I've said over the last few weeks, it has become an extremely divisive time in our country. Perhaps as divisive as it's ever been, with the possible exception of the Civil War. And I want to spend this last episode before the election, just letting Baldwin speak in his own words about America, about freedom, and about liberty, whatever those things meant to him and may mean to you. So I'm going to get right into that, and after this quick break, I'm going to play some clips from Baldwin talking about those topics and more, and I will see you on the other side. What is liberty? Oh, wow. That's quite a question. Not, um, I suppose almost nobody really asks himself that question. Well, I can always quote the um, Declaration. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. At the moment I do that, I'm in trouble again, because um, obviously I was not included in that, um, in that pronouncement. That they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. That among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, what is liberty? I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I suppose it occurs on two levels. One is inside, one is outside. So that finally, or first of all, perhaps, liberty is the individual passion or will to be free. But this passion, this will, is always contradicted by the necessities of the state. Everywhere. Well, as long as we've heard of mankind, as long as we've heard of states. I don't know if it'll be like that forever. It, for a black American, for a black inhabitant of this country, the Statue of Liberty is simply um, a very bitter joke. Meaning nothing. Essentially, the country is so panic stricken about it. It means this. The generation of boys and girls of Signal and Lunch Panthers are the first generation of Negroes in the entire history of America who were not controlled by the Americans' image of them. This is why Montgomery is so demoralized. Little Rock is so paralyzed. New Orleans, people are going mad. 
If you can find anywhere in the deep south, Negroes, the south has been saying for generations, they know. They know the Negro. You would find them in that town. There was not a Negro in that town, really, century, who was not working with some white man. There was really no middle class. There were no outside agitators. These people walked. These people terrified. The, the town is still terrified. So they don't, not, ter no, not even on the obvious level about violence. If they're not who I thought they were, who are they? What is this image that you are? This is precisely what it's so difficult to get down to, but let me put it, let me try to put it this way. Um, what is he? I don't know. I don't know what white people see, you know, when they look at any girl anymore. But I do know very well um, that I realized when I was very young that whatever, whatever he was looking at, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Um, it was something he was afraid of. It was something um, to which he was attracted or which he found repulsive. But it wasn't me. I was not a man. Now, this image, I don't know what this image is, but it has something to do. It has something to do, I'm convinced of this, with the Puritan God. There's something to do with a peculiar and I believe absolutely bankrupt morality under which we all are suffering. The one person who was outside this constriction in fact and historically and in life was this pagan, this black pagan. Who was brought over who was as brought a over, chattel. That's right. was brought over as a chattel uh, to, a, to, to God's country. It seems to me that it's a reflection, a direct reflection, of the effort made by the white American to keep away, to, to not be threatened by black people. In some ways, the, the American vision of the world is all wrapped up with their vision of black men, which has to do with their, to do with their vision of themselves. Black is evil. The saved are white. Now, there is certainly a thread which connects this reality to, uh, which and makes it possible for uh, the Secretary of State to say, we will not do business with the devil. It is not a southern problem. It is a national problem. What is happening in New Orleans today began to happen over 100 years ago, when in effect, the North, which was the government, having freed tens of thousands of illiterate black men they made no provision for them none whatever none whatever they were dumped on the body politic and no one was responsible for them and they were of course immediately political and, and industrial footballs for everybody they were everybody's target and in a way black men were very useful to the american because in a country so absolutely undefined no amorphous, where there were no limits, no height, really, and, and no depth. There was one thing for which one could be certain. One knew where one was by knowing where the Negro was. You knew that you were not on the bottom because the Negro, because the Negro was there. You knew one knows what sin is in the same way, one knows what danger is in the same way. Now, this implies a vision of oneself, it seems to me, and a vision of the world 
which doesn't stop at the American borders. It is also the way America deals with the world. In must, cannot possibly avoid moving directly into the heart of the people who make up America. I mean, I, I mean that the problem will never be resolved until everybody in the country in some way, I know how impossible it sounds, however, this is what has to happen, is able, is somehow able to do without this crutch. If I were going to describe, I can't name names, so a hypothetical white liberal. Well, I know what he thinks he's doing. But what he's mainly doing is something which demands my tacit cooperation. I have to agree that I am what he says I am in order for us to have any dialogue at all. And I don't agree that uh, he is what he, what, what, what he, what he no, but I, I am what he thinks I am. Then inevitably, and I, one sees this at once in the face of the people you're, you're, you're dealing with, it means that if I'm not what he takes me to be, that means I, was, I have a standard of judgment, which is not his, which I may then be using to judge him. Which may cut the ground from under, under all the standards. All the other, yeah, exactly. You regard this as a, as a distinct threat to the, what shall I call it, the uh, sense of spiritual security? No? I think American, I think the Americans essentially, I don't think this, I know this. Yes, this is a threat to the American personality as it has so far been constituted. It's a threat to every, it is a threat to their definition of the world. Is a, is a threat to, their, to the way they, what they think reality is. And I also mean to imply something else. Um, let me put it personally, it's the safest way to put it. Um, there was something in me, for example, you know, sometimes, and certainly when I was much younger, which resented the assumption on which all these things are based. It assumes that you have something I want. That um, there, is, there really isn't on the basis of it. Just looking at the evidence. Any reason for white people to assume that Negroes want to be like them? It's very difficult. I have, I have said in effect that white men must give up what is in effect a crutch. So must I. This is entirely true. There is something very safe about being a Negro in a way because you can blame anything that happens to you on it. And this is the worst thing about being a Negro, quite apart now from New Orleans, race riots, lynchings, etc., etc. The worst thing about it is at one point somewhere in yourself, you have to realize that all right, you are a Negro and this is all true, but before that, you are a man and your life is in your hands. You are responsible for what happens to you. You cannot blame anybody for it. There is no point. There is no one to blame. Tim, what do you see deep in the recesses of your own mind 
as the future of our nation. And I ask that question in that way because I think that the future of the Negro and the future of the nation are linked. They're insoluble. Yeah. Now, what do you see? Uh, are you essentially optimistic or pessimistic? And I really don't want to put words in your mouth because what I really want to find out is what you really believe. Well, I'm both glad and sorry you asked me that question. I'll do my best to answer it. I can't be a pessimist because I'm alive. To be a pessimist means that you have agreed that human life is an epidemic matter. So I'm forced to be an optimist. I'm forced to believe that we can survive whatever we must survive. But the Negro in this country, the future of the Negro in this country is precisely as bright or as dark as the future of the country. It is entirely up to the American people and our representatives. It is entirely up to the American people whether or not they're going to face and deal with and embrace this stranger whom they maligned so long. What white people have to do is try to find out in their own hearts why it was necessary to have a nigger in the first place. Because I'm not a nigger. I'm a man. But if you think I'm a nigger, it means you need it. The question you've got to ask yourself, the white population of this country has got to ask itself, north and south, because it's one country, and for a negro, there's no difference in the north and the south. It's just, you know, a difference in the way they, in the way they castrate you. But, that's, but the fact of the castration is the American fact. If I'm not a nigger here, and you invented him, you, the white people, invented him, then you've got to find out why. Well... And the future of the country depends on that, whether or not it's able to ask that question. All right, back at it. And as we could hear from those... Uh, speeches and videos that Baldwin was in, he, as usual, pulled no punches and was direct and honest. Sometimes people would say too brutally honest, but honest nonetheless in his assessment of the country. A couple more quick things before I get out of here this week. I want to remind you that you can follow and give the show a like on Facebook at facebook.com slash James Baldwin's America or on Twitter at James underscore Baldwin's. You can email the show with thoughts or questions at baldwins.america at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from, and please leave a five-star rating. Now, something that I am starting, um, I've been doing this show because it's my passion project, and I love Baldwin, and I think by now all of you know that, as this will be the 20th episode that drops. Um... I'm not doing it for the money. I'm not making money. When I started this show, it wasn't to become some multimillionaire. But there are costs attached to producing a weekly podcast. And I've gone back and forth on trying to decide to do what I'm about to do. But I've had overwhelming support from the podcast community and friends at large to just put it out there. If you enjoy what you're hearing every week, if you're learning something, 
if this is somehow touching you or opening your eyes to something that you hadn't thought about before, please consider a small donation to my PayPal. Like I said, I'm not getting rich off of this. I would, I'm just using this money to help offset the costs of producing a weekly show. And you can reach me on PayPal at baldwins.america at gmail.com. So I hope you will consider any donation at all will be greatly appreciated. Going to play one more clip before we get out of here. Um, something big is going to happen in this country. I don't know what it is yet, but I just know it's something big. I hope everyone out there is safe and you take care of yourself and those around you and those that you love. And hopefully, finally, we can begin to put the last four years behind us and we'll see progress. But Baldwin warned us of what progress is and what progress might do. I'll talk to you guys next week. Peace. What is it you wanted me to reconcile myself to? I was born here almost 60 years ago. I'm not going to live another 60 years. You've always told me it takes time. It's taken my father's time, my mother's time, my uncle's time, my brother's and my sister's time, my nieces and my nephew's time. How much time do you want for your progress?